Today we're discussing flavors. Um, and put it like this. Uh, food technologists have come up with all kinds of ways to make food taste better and be more accessible, not spoil, etc. And the flavor industry is a really good example of all that. What it does is it flavors mean I could take plain water and make it taste like pineapple juice or give a strawberry taste into my breakfast cereal, even though there's no fruit added into it. Um, so I do all these things by just adding something called a flavor into something, and all of a sudden it has some other taste to it. Um, the, the flavor part that we put in, that the company will put in, is a tiny amount. It could be like, you know, I don't know half of a percent of the, of the product or maybe even parts per million of a specific chemical. <clears throat> And it affects the food in ways that everyone can realize. It's in tiny amounts, but yet everybody who tastes that food will realize that it tastes like what I mentioned before, the pineapple or the strawberry or whatever it is. Um, so we're going to talk about the ingredients that they use in those in a bit. But for now, I want to just divide flavors, the, the ingredients that are in there, not by the specifics, but just in a general sense, into two different groups, which I'll call active ingredients and inactive ingredients. Okay, in the active category, um, we go like this. Most of the things that we taste are <clears throat> really a perception of aroma, um, which is to say we smell something, you know. So um, an aroma is created from what we call volatile chemicals, which means to say these are chemicals that bits of them are, are leaving, are floating off, are escaping and vaporizing from a food. Like, for example, um, if I have a banana, <clears throat> the, I open up a banana, there's isoamyl acetate molecules that just lifting off of the banana, or when I chew into it, releasing even more of them. And when I, when that comes into contact with my nose or my mouth, then I perceive a certain uh, aroma, and I associate that with bananas. Um, so if a, if a flavor company was trying to make a banana flavor, what they'll do is they will try to they would include some isoamyl acetate uh, and other chemicals, and to create the to mimic that flavor of a banana. Um, in the way that they, in their idea of how they want their banana tasted, flavored item to taste like. Um, now, so those items, those chemicals are the most, most active. They create the character of the taste, in this case, the banana. They create the banana taste that the person is trying to uh, have. Now, but there's also other types of like active type chemicals, <clears throat> which we call flavor enhancers, like salt or MSG or certain other things like that. They're not volatile. They don't have any aroma to them. But so, e even so, they affect the perception of the taste, and they would be considered um, active, so to speak. If you were making an overall flavor, that would be considered active as well. Now, um, the, the, these active ingredients <coughs> excuse me, are so concentrated. There's such tiny amounts. How many parts per million you need of these, of the, what I mentioned before, the isoamyl acetate to make it taste like bananas, um, that the it's, it would be hard for a company using that flavor to, di to dose it out and properly blend it into the food that they have to make it uh, work well for them. So often, the people who make the flavors will dilute them in liquid. Like, for example, if it was in a liquid, it would be like in water, propylenglycol, glycerin, alcohol, oil, something like that. Or they would, or dilute it into a powder like starch. And those are those, that liquid or that powder is a carrier. It has nothing to do with the taste of the food. It just makes it easier to work with this item. Instead of having to to, to put in literally parts per million, you could pour in ounces of the item, and that, the, you know, get, putting two ounces into the formula gives you the, the parts per million that you're trying to get. Okay, now another reason why people, there are other reasons why they add inactive ingredients, aside from the 
uh, as carriers, uh, they could be, I have a few ideas, a few examples. They could use it as a processing aid, like if they were spray drying it and they need starch to go in the spray drying to help it attach to something. Or they have something, something called a fixative, which it, it prevents the chemicals from volatizing, from you know, escaping into the atmosphere too early. So you want you want to it holds on to the active ingredients and doesn't let them out until the right, so to speak, the right time. Or there's antioxidants, which keep the flavor from spoiling. Or there might be another reason, like one another one we came up with was uh, what happens if you want to write that this grape beverage contains real grape. So you'll put in a tiny bit of grape, not in an amount that could affect the flavor, but it's there just to serve the role that someone could write on the label. It has contains real grape. And I bet there are other reasons as well. Okay, so there's active ingredients. Those are creating the flavor or enhancing the flavor. And then there are inactive ingredients that are there for some other reason. They have nothing to do with what the food tastes like. Now, um, <clears throat> these active or the inactive ingredients could be treif. They could be milchigs. Um, and we're going to talk about some of the ingredients uh, in, in a minute. When I get to, I'll get to that part. Um, but look, look, the thing is like this. We, providing hashkacha, would only give hashkacha if the, the flavor is completely kosher. Not, that would be if we certify the flavor, or even if we certify a beverage or a food that has a flavor in it, we'll only give hashkacha. That's our job, to make sure that something is 100% kosher. Um, <clears throat> now, the, the, there are... Okay, what happens if I don't have hashkacha on my flavor? Okay, so, so there, there, it's a quite a complicated issue. I'm, I'm going to give uh, a brief overview in, in a second, but the... the the, the general way we look at it is that for since there are possibilities that the flavor contains non-kosher ingredients, therefore anything that has a flavor needs to have hashkacha to it. Um, but the, the real questions about what to do with items that have uncertified flavor are for two specific situations. Um, one is people who need a medicine. M most medicines are not certified. Um, and, and in some cases, the only sensitive item is, or a sensitive item is the flavor that's in there. And we have no idea what, what that flavor is made out of. And the second is, what happens if um, um, a company manufactured a product that all the ingredients were kosher, the only thing that's not certified is the flavor that was in there. Um, so <clears throat> those, those are two situations where the, the question about what to do with the uncertified flavor is not for me to decide which beverage or cookie I should eat, but a question either for a person who's sick or for a question about kasha and kalim. And as a rule, we're makel in both those cases. Not always, but as a rule, we're makel at both of those cases. Again, for regular consumer questions of, should I eat this food without a, without a, that, whose flavor we don't know about? No, we would not be makel. But for those cases, as a rule, we are makel. Okay, so what's the, what are the issues that there are about an uncertified flavor? I'm going to just, just briefly, not really get into too much depth. So it starts with the following. Flavors, as a rule, not, not always, but as a rule, um, <clears throat> are... Uh, in in such tiny amounts that they would be baltabashishim. The only reason why they're not baltabashishim is because they're vital taima, and the rule is that something that's a vital taima that's there to give taste can't be bottled even if it's in tiny amounts. Okay, but that opens up three possible reasons to be mekel. The first is, the simplest is that a vital taima is only a concern for the active ingredients, the inactive ingredients that have nothing to do with the taste, they're not providing any taste. If one of those inactive ingredients was not kosher, then it would be bottled. We wouldn't say it's a the time because it's not, it's part of the overall flavor, but it doesn't give any time. That's one thing. The second is, sometimes if we, if we create our uh, cherry flavor from several different components, uh, then uh, when we have a time that's created by more than one item, 
and neither one of them could create could create could provide the time by itself, then there's a rule called Zevzagarim that says is Avido time is not a problem. If each one of them could not have done it by itself, excuse me, it's only the two of them together that create t- creates the taste, then there's no then it could be bottled and there's no problem with Avito Taima. Now, you would think that that describes every flavor, because flavor is made of many chemicals that provide the, create the taste, um, and maybe it should automatically qualify for Zevzagarim, but the truth is, if you look more carefully, um, not necessarily true. Okay, so people shouldn't jump to conclusions and say, oh, it's always Zevzagarim because there are so many different parts to make this cherry flavor. It's, it, as in many cases, it's not so true. Okay, but the third is, like the follows. Most of the things that create flavor... Most of the chemicals or the, or the ingredients, the components that would be used to create flavor are items that are inherently kosher. And the reason why they, they need hashkacha, the reason why they're sensitive, is because they might have been made on kalim, which are not kosher. Okay, for example, I'll just give an example. Uh, lauric acid, uh, I mentioned uh, lauric acid, is always made from vegetable oil. Vegetables are kosher. Uh, but the problem is that it could be distilled on the same equipment as stearic acid, which comes from animal fat, which is not kosher. So lauric acid um, is inherently kosher. So if we have uh, ethyl laurate, um, it's made with lauric acid. So the lauric acid is sensitive. <clears throat> the lauric acid um, is sensitive because, but it's only sensitive because of, it could have been made on kale that were not kosher, but it inherently is kosher. Okay, what, why is that? How come it is, it's just like a coincidence? It's not a coincidence. It's because the, the, the I mentioned before him that what makes something have a taste to it, uh, the aroma, what we're looking for, these chemicals, is something that's volatile. Okay, well, the things that are uh, uh, items that have shorter carbon chains are, tend to be more flavorful and give more aroma because they're more volatile. Well, those are found in plant materials. And the ones... Um, at things that come from animals and fish and poultry, those tend to have longer chains that are not as volatile and they don't give as much aroma. So it works out that basically mo- most of the items that would be used to create the flavor components are items which are uh, inherently kosher, but they have they're inherently kosher, but they have they're sens- they're sensitive because of kale they might have been made on. Okay, now there are exceptions, of course. Uh, everyone likes to say there's certain animal flavor ingredients, civet and castorium. They're using like really fancy flavors. Okay, that those are actually from animals and they're, and they're not, and they're inherently not kosher. And there are some things that are inherently not kosher, which are awesome drabanam, like start a distillate, comes from concubinus akam or grape seed extract, or things made with, uh, you know, uh, from alcohol, from, from wine. Okay, but all those, um, there are such things. So again, I'm not to say that there aren't such things, but the vast majority of these ingredients that are vidal, that are actually the avidal time portions are inherently kosher and just a shayla being made on kalim. And for that, we have a rule called a mel habulo midam. If we, we have something that itself is only not kosher because it has a bli in it, that for those things, the strictness of avidal time doesn't apply. Okay, so based on these different, based on these factors, um, we would tell people, you know, the flavor might be not kosher. It might affect the food to the point that it's not kosher, and therefore it should have hashkacha. But, uh, and we, of course, wouldn't give hashkacha unless it was 100% kosher. But there are certain circumstances where an uncertified flavor is something that a person can be making on, like in the two things I mentioned before. Okay, now let's go to the different types of flavors that there are. Um, I'm going to break them up into some different groups, and then last we're going to get to the, the ingredients. Um, so one is natural versus artificial. So consumers have this perception that a natural flavor is more healthful than something that's made from artificial chemicals. 
So the government made up uh, criteria um, or what a flavor has to be in order to be counted as natural. Okay, so I'm, I'm not going to read you the whole text. It's a couple of, one really, really long sentence. Um, but in order to be, uh, in short, it has to be something like a, an oil or, or a distillate or a, something that you roasted from something that, that gets the flavor components from us spice or a fruit or a vegetable or a bark or something edible or from meat, seafood, poultry, eggs, dairy products or fermentations and it's something that gives flavor instead of being for nutrition. So the idea is if you get the flavorful part out of, if you create a, a, something with flavor or extract something with flavor from a plant material or an edible plant material or a, a something that's uh, animal or seafood, or things like that, then you call that a natural flavor, and if you don't, then you call it an artificial flavor. <clears throat> okay, now, <clears throat> I'll explain what some of those things are, like I mentioned, essential oils and oleoresins, all kinds of things that you could get from a thing. I'll talk about that in a minute. But even that knowing what they are, you don't need to know what they are to know that natural flavors can be made from grape juice, which would be stamyain, or from meat, or seafood, or poultry, and dairy oil, which could be treif, or of course milk hugs, uh, and could easily be not kosher. Okay, so in this way, a natural flavor um, is more kosher sensitive than artificial flavor. Artificial flavors could also be not kosher, but the natural ones are much more sensitive than the artificial ones. Okay, it sounds counterintuitive. Natural sounds like better and simple and, and less complicated, but in fact, it's not like that. Now, um, the, the fact that something is a natural flavor and it comes from natural ingredients doesn't mean that it comes with something that has an inherent connection to the flavor that you're producing. For example... One of the main chemicals that creates the flavor we associate with lemon is called citral. Well, that's, the name of the, that's the name of the chemical. Now, you could get citral from lemon oil, so by, from lemon peel. Well, if you did that, it would be natural, and it would be coming from the, the thing itself. It comes from lemons, to, and you get this, this pull, thing pulled out of the lemon oil, and, you, and now you have your citral that makes lemon taste wonderful. But another way to do it is you can get... Uh, there's an essential oil you can extract from a plant called the lemon myrtle plant. It's called lemon myrtle plant because it smells, it tastes like, it has this aroma of lemons. It's not a lemon, okay, but you could get it from there. If you got it from there, it would be natural, but it's not coming anything to do with a lemon. It's coming from a plant that has nothing to do with a lemon. And of course, you could also get it, you can also make it, I don't know, of course, but you can also make citra from petroleum. So that means to say is, it's possible to have natural, you have artificial lemon flavor, you could have natural lemon that comes from a lemon, or you could have natural lemon flavor that doesn't come from lemons, it comes from something else, but it's still called natural because it comes from a natural source. Okay, so it doesn't have to necessarily come from lemons itself. I'm going to give two other examples quickly. Um, one is that uh, vanilla, real vanilla, comes from uh, an, an, an extract that you use alcohol to extract a f something out of vanilla beans. Okay, vanilla beans are very expensive. They only grow in certain climates. Um, but you could also get a similar um, taste by extracting something called acidinosol. I'd probably pronounce that wrong, which comes from castorium, which is a beaver, which is, of course, not kosher. Okay, and that would be considered natural vanilla because it's natural. It came from a beaver, and it's and it came from, and it tastes like vanilla. It would be called natural vanilla, even though it has nothing to do with uh, the vanilla beans. Okay, you could also make uh, artificial, what we call vanillin, or ethyl vanillin, um, from wood pulp. Okay, but where I'm, my point here is that the, the vanilla could be natural, yet it never came from, it did not come from a vanilla bean. And one more example is one of the main components of a grape flavor is some, a chemical called methyl 
and thranolate. Uh, you could get it from grapes if you wanted to, um, but it's easier, it, it's more realistic <coughs> to get it from, as the essential oil from a certain uh, fruit called the mandarin petit grain. Okay, that's a better place to get it from. So if you make grape flavor using um, that methyl anthranolate that came from this mandarin petite grains, it would be considered a natural grape flavor, even though it had not coming from a grape. Okay, uh, You could also make it from petroleum, in which case it would be artificial. But you, my point here again is you can make this natural grape flavor. It has nothing to do with grapes, uh, and that would be a more realistic way to do it than actually getting it from the grape itself. Okay. Now, another legality... Um, we mentioned about calling something natural or artificial. Another legality is that companies are allowed to put on, a, on an ingredient panel the right the term flavor or natural flavor, artificial flavor. They could use the word flavor, and they don't have to tell you the ingredients that are in that flavor. Um, that protects the flavor company because they don't have to tell you their ingredients that they use to create this. But it means is that a consumer who looks at that word has not a clue what he's looking at. He doesn't know if it's kosher or trave or milk or power. He has no idea what's in it. Okay, or for that matter, even how sensitive it is. And, I mean, it makes no difference how much the person knows even about uh, making flavors. By looking at the word flavor, is totally, uh, you know, obscures what's really going on over there. So um, that for that reason, as I mentioned before, when something has a flavor, automatically needs hashkacha to it because who knows what's in there. But also, it, it comes up a lot also when something is certified. But it's certified as kosher dairy, and all the ingredients that are in there sure seem like they're not dairy, except for the flavor. Um, the flavor, who, which you have no idea what it is. So the word flavor, you have no idea. Maybe there's butter oil in that flavor. How do we know what's in there? Maybe there's something really new that's in there. So the only way to really find out the answer is to turn back to the people giving hashkoch on that and say to them, tell us. Can you tell us whether this flavor is, is actually milk or not? Okay, another way to split up flavors is between liquids and powders. And that is um, most of the chemicals that are used to make um, flavors at least start off as liquids. Um, so the easiest way to make a flavor is to blend a bunch of liquids together. Um, we call it compounding. Um, and there's no heat involved. You just mix them together. Um, sometimes there are some ingredients that are solid or semi-solid at room temperature. So they, they will have to heat it up beforehand. But as a rule, most of these things are done at an ambient temperature. Now, there are times that someone's going to want to have a flavor in a powder form. Like, let's say he's making a, selling a cake mix and has this flavor mix into it. Where you can't put that as a liquid. It's not going to work. It just won't, you know, can't put liquid into a powder. So then what you'll do is you'll take your liquid ingredients and turn them into powders. You plate them onto powders. Like, you might spray dry them or use some other message of, of, of drying them. Uh, and, of course, that would mean that they need hashkacha just because of that equipment. Who knows what else that equipment is useful. <clears throat> and there's a variation of that, just something you might see. Um, sometimes they'll take a regular ingredient and they'll call it a, a powdered extract or a PE. Um, and that means to say is they took a liquid and they, so to speak, converted it into a powder uh, in order to make it suitable for these kind of uses. And that, again, needs hashkacha for the same reason because of the kale that might have been used for the drying. Now, um, back to liquid flavors for a second. Um, they have a complication in that uh, many of the chemicals that are used to make like, for flavors are oil-based, and they therefore are not water-soluble. Two of the common examples are essential oils and citrus oils. Um, talk about essential oils, what they mean in a second. But they're oils. Give it, it's, a, it's a type of oil that comes from an herb or a fruit. And and what would happen is if you put that into your into your soda or your seltzer or anything like that, if you put it into the liquid, it's going to float to the top. It's not going to be functional as a, as a flavor. Um, so if you want to use this oil based uh, an oil based flavor in a 
water, uh, water type uh, product, then you need to you have to add an emulsifier or something similar, which will help the liquid, the oil and the water mix together. So emulsifiers are like, are like polysorbate, a polysorbate, uh, monodiglycerides, glycerol, wood rosins, brominated brominate vegetable oil, and there's plenty more also. And all those things are kosher sensitive. At least all the ones that I mentioned are all kosher sensitive. Uh, which is, so that is to say, yes, so even though the, the, the flavor component itself is not kosher sensitive, um, but in order to turn that, that citrus oil into something that can go into a, into a uh, water-based beverage, uh, like soda, you would need to have this um, emulsifier added into it. Okay, so now we're going to find. I'm going to talk about some ingredients. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to talk about the, I mean, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of ingredients that are used in flavor companies. <clears throat> I'm not going to talk about them one by one. That would be like not re- realistic. Uh, but just some general guidelines and some broad strokes about the flavors, about ingredient ingredient types that are used. So the first is something called a concrete, and it's an extract. And an extract taken out of a plant, but it certain it has things in it that are not so. Des- it has some undesirable ingredients like like waxes, um, and because those waxes are still in there, it makes the extract to be solid or semi-solid. And that's why it's called a concrete. It's like a solid piece. Um, the extraction is done with hexane or benzene usually, uh, and then you distill that part out, the hexane out of the the concrete. And since that's done like that, it comes from a plant, it's done with hexane and benzene, which are not kosher sensitive, so you could use it year-round or for Pesach with a hashkacha, uh, unless, of course, you start off with some of those kidneys or hummus. Okay, now, you can then take your concrete and use alcohol to extract out the waxes and the terpenes and the sesquiterpenes and other things that don't give any odor and that are just undesirable, and that would create something called an absolute. That's a liquid, uh, but since the extraction is done with alcohol, it would be considered kosher sensitive. Okay, now, a resin is a sap or a gum or a balsam. Those are different things that are exuded by, uh, by, by different kind of plant items. Um, and as a rule, they don't have issues for Pesach year-round, uh, as a rule. Um, there are three notable gums that need hashkacha, gelin gum, xanthan gum, and gum arabic, which is also known as gum acacia. Uh, that was, we spoke about that at a different time. Uh, but as a rule, the, these resins are just, just uh, comes out of, the, out of the tree or the plant, and like pers- uh, a balsam peru, that's a balsam, um, and those are okay. Now, you can also do a, a, a concrete extraction on a resin, and that makes something called a resinoid, okay, and that's also not a problem. Okay. Now, essential oils. Essential oils are made, you use steam to uh, extract from, or, or sometimes with cold pressing, you use steam to extract the essential oil, the, the, the primary flavor component, typically from like an herb or a, some other botanical. Um, so using the steam to, to extract this, this essential part, the, the oily part, so to speak, of the plant that has the essential taste of it. Now, uh, before I go on, I just want to mention that there are some companies that we, that are not so good about the wording, and they'll say cherry oil when they really mean to say is cherry flavor. They're not using the term so accurately. So just be aware that sometimes what says cherry oil is not really cherry oil. It's really cherry flavor. Okay. Now, some companies use enzymes, and the, 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 the extraction process and the distillation would be inherently would be not be a problem, but some companies use enzymes for that extraction. So some people, at least for Pesach, will ask for hashkacha for these kind of oils. Okay, and we once talked about a different time, um, a variation of essential is called the citrus oils. That's, again, the oil, the flavorful part that comes from citrus fruits. Um, and we talked about a different time what that is. Now, um, 
An essential oil has all the volatile, the arom- aromatic components of this botanical that you took it from. So, so uh, uh, lavender oil is has all the parts of the lavender plant that are considered to be uh, aromatic, that are going to give the, that will be volatile, that will have the smell and taste of them. But sometimes you don't want just that part of it. Right? Why would that be? Why would you want, you want other parts of the, of the plant? You don't want the plant itself. That's too hard to work with. You want to get something out of the plant, but you want more than just the flavor. Like, for example, you might want some things that are non-volatile, but they add pungency. They add, you know, add other characters, like I mentioned before, the active things that are not volatile. Or they might give color. Like, let's say the plant has chlorophyll, which would give you a green color, or it has uh, cardinoids, which would give you an uh, orange color. So you want that together. You don't just want the flavor by itself. You want other parts of the plant also. Or it might have antioxidants in it that have some benefit to what you're doing. So when you do th- that kind of an extraction, that would be called an oleoresin. It's not called an essential oil because it has more than the oil. It has the oil plus other stuff is. And usually um, the the extraction is done not with steam, with other things that are innocuous, um, acetone, carbon dioxide, ethyl acetate, ethyl dichloride, methanol, methylene chloride, all different types of things like this that are used that are inherently kosher. Um, and they, they would be fine. Inherently, they would be fine. However, they, among the things that they contain is this essential oil. And they're not sold just as an essential oil. They're sold as an oily resin. And since they're not water-soluble, because they have the oil in them, they are often sold with polysorbates or other emulsifiers mixed into them. So oleoresins need hashkacha for year and for Pesach, not because of the oleoresin per se, but because of what else is in there <coughs> that might be kosher sensitive. <coughs> okay, now there's a whole different, whole other class of ingredients that are, go by these uh, uh, chemical, by these chemical classifications. Um, aldehydes, ketones, esters, and there are other ones as well. Um, and some of them come from natural sources. Some of them are, so to speak, manufactured uh, by reacting one chemical with another chemical. For example, I mentioned before an ethyl lorate. Well, ethyl lorate is an ester, uh, and it can be made... Uh, um, you can get ethyl lorate from certain grapes, and even from guava, okay? But that's not how most people get it. Usually, you get, make, do it by, by reacting ethyl alcohol with lauric acid. Ethyl alcohol can come from fermentation of sugars, like grape juice or other apple juice, other fermentation, or just plain sugar, or it can come from petroleum. That's one part of it. That's the ethyl part of it. And then the lauric acid is, as I mentioned, it comes from vegetable oil. Um, so, and it itself has its own sensitivity just because the kale might be made up, but it comes from vegetable oil. Now, when you ethyl lorate, ethyl does its thing, and laurel does its thing together. Ethyl lorate, as this compound that's, that's reacted together, makes a sweetie, fruity, floral taste aroma in a flavor. Hmm. Okay, so so that's here here we have this ester made from these two different components that has this taste to it that uh, gives this fruity-ish uh, floral taste to a fruit. Okay? So in order to, to know whether lots of components, lots of these chemicals are used in making flavors, and that requires someone with experience in uh, ingredients to judge how kosher sensitive any of these particular ones are. Some of them are very sensitive, and some of them are not sensitive at all, and they're perfectly fine. Even that, at that hashkacha. Our last group of ingredients is what we call savory ingredients, which is to say, is that until now, or, or I shouldn't say, most of the flavors, most a lot of the flavors we think about, we would call them sweet or salty or fruity, but there's a group of flavors called savory flavors. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to define it, but it's sort of like 
cheese and meat taste and things like that. Um, so it's a little more complicated or uh, advanced flavors. Uh, and in order to make them, uh, the ingredients, there are, so to speak, regular ingredients in those, but usually you need to do more reactions in order to create these savory flavor components. Um, two of the common reactions are called Maillard browning and Strecker's degradation. Okay, I'll get to what they are in a second, and, but they both, and they both work on what's called free amino acids. I'll talk about that in a second also, okay? And they make these intense, flavorful compounds. Okay, a Maillard browning, we all know about it, is when you take a piece of bread and stick it in the toaster, and it makes the bread turn brown, the reaction that's going on there, or when you make, uh, when you make a, a, an ex or something like that, it also is when you make caramel, take sugar and it turns into caramel. It's, uh, the end, it's the end of a process, but those are br Maillard brownings. It's a chemical reaction that's turning this simpler sugar in, or the free amino acids into this, giving this brown color to it. It's also what happens when we take green uh, coffee beans and we roast them and they turn brown. And when you take a piece of meat and you grill it, and it turns brown also. That, that chemical reaction that's going on there is called the Maillard browning. Of course, when you make a savory flavor, you do with all kinds of other ways and with other ingredients. Uh, and a Strecker's degradation takes part of this amino uh, of this free amino acid and turns it into an aldehyde. I mentioned before, and aldehydes and ketones, etc. It makes aldehyde. For example, you would take L-phenylalanine, phenylalanine, um, the ene at the end of that word, phen phenylalanine, the ene at the end of that means it's an amino acid, and it turns it into phenyl acid aldehyde. Okay, and that has a honey-like flavor. Go figure. Okay, <clears throat> so so that's that. Those are these are reactions that create these more advanced flavors. Um, and now, amino acids are what you make proteins out of. The blending of different amino acids together is what creates a protein. So, an amino acid that's not part of any it's not part of a protein, it's called the free amino acid, it's just floating around, it's not part of a, of a protein, and you therefore would expect to find free amino acids in uh, foods that are good sources of protein, like meat, or eggs, or milk, or soy, um, and so that means is, that if you're going to, um, if you're going to do a reaction, let's say a Maillard browning, or a Strecker's degradation, uh, and you need free amino acids to do it, you're going to turn to foods that have those free amino acids, uh, which is to say is you're, you're potentially using something that's really not trace. Okay, and one last thing within the type, savory type, not exactly, but savory type, is smoke flavors. They are created by smoldering, not burning, smoldering wood, um, and it creates this thing called a, a smoke flavor. It inherently would not be kosher sensitive, but the liquid smoke that's created can often be blended with emulsifiers or oils before you sell it to the user who will then, so he could then blend it into his food and give his chips or his food a smoky flavor.